0: Hey everybody, this is Tim. Welcome to the podcast. Just gonna do a quick intro before we get to the main body of the episode. It's a great interview with Kate Finan, please stay tuned. It is totally worth listening to. I just thought I'd uh, do a quick intro. Today I'm working on a project where uh, two characters get in a fight after they have to pull their car over to the side of the road on a highway. Cars are just whipping by them super fast. So there's a spot in Toronto where I wanted to come and record that. And I'm here. I'm about 50 yards back from the highway. You can hear a siren in the distance. That is because there is apparently an accident a little up the road, so the cars are barely moving for me right now, so I'm gonna have to sit and wait for a while until the highway gets going again. And so I thought I'd record this intro while I was doing that. Uh, The other really cool thing about this uh, spot that I'm at is there's a fence with a big uh, no trespassing sign. And if you hop that fence, you can get right to the highway and walk right up to the cars. When people driving their cars see someone at the side of the road pointing a uh, boom with a wind sock on the end of it, because they think I'm a cop trying with a speed gun trying to clock them I slow down. I found this perfect spot that's kind of just beyond a curve. But right now I'm about 50 yards away from the highway because since there is no trespassing, I don't want to hop the fence until uh, the cars start really moving and I can go get a good five, six minutes of good recordings. So right now I'm on a public trail inside a park, here goes the sirens. That was an ambulance just passed me by there, so uh, hopefully no one's hurt. yikes. Once the highway starts moving I'm going to hop the fence, get right up on the highway and record my passes. But right now I thought that uh, I'd say a couple quick things about this podcast. Uh, a couple episodes ago, we asked for help editing some episodes to see if anybody wanted to jump in and volunteer. So many people volunteered, and I just wanted to send out a big thanks for all the people who have. I'm now walking through a tunnel underneath a railway track. Listen to this. out there. So this is a cool tunnel, it makes a great sound. This is called the Rainbow Tunnel. When you're driving on the highway and trying to record, you can see it when you drive by, and the openings on both sides are painted like rainbows. Maybe I'll take a picture and put it up on the site. You can tell I just came out of the tunnel. This episode was cut by a guy named Chris Zott. Did an amazing job with it. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Zott. That's C-H-R-I-S-S-Z-O-T-T. And uh, if you're looking for someone to do some dialogue editing or anything, I would recommend him. He was great to work with for this episode. And just before i leave you i'm about to walk into a tunnel that goes under this highway so uh it's got a crazy reverb and you'll hear as i enter the tunnel how it starts picking up and it's got this crazy slapback reverb and uh, i'm going to hold the mic away from me now and give me a give it a good yell Just let you hear it Ooh, a truck's passing overhead okay here we go
1: Welcome to Tonebenders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, as always, it's Timothy Muirhead. Hey, Tim. Hey, Renee. How you doing? Long time no talk
0: to you, man. Yeah, it's been a while since we've both been on our podcast at the same time.
1: (laughs) Our own podcast. Yeah. (laughs) And we have someone else, too, joining us today. It's Kate Finan. Kate is a supervising sound editor uh, that specializes in work in animated projects. She co-owns Boombox Post over there in LA with her accomplished sound editor partner, Jeff Schiffman. Kate's past credits include Disney's Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, Transformers, and The Lion Guard. Her team recently won the Outstanding Sound Mixing Animation Emmy for the current Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. She also blogs over at boomboxpost.com slash blog, where she writes about everything from gear reviews, the company's fascinating internal sound design challenges, and best practices for running a freelance sound business. You can follow Kate on Twitter at Boombox Post. You can find me, I'm at Renee Coronado. And Tim is at Asmith Audio. Hey, Kate, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me today.
0: Thank you for writing that blog. I've been following it for a while, and I've every one you write, I always get something out of, so I appreciate you putting the effort into that. It's at boomboxpost.com slash blog, so everyone should go over there and check that out. Um, how are you doing? How'd you get into the business?
2: I'm doing really well. Um, I got into the business in a fairly regular fashion. Um... I'm going to say that it kind of started when I was in high school and I was really into physics and I was into math, but I was also really into music. I'm a clarinet player and a piano player. And I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to take that as far as a career path. And I found out that you could have this amazing job being an audio engineer for classical music, which is what I thought I wanted to do, which is obviously kind of a far cry from where I ended up. But I ended up going to college for audio engineering, focusing on music. And I tried a few different aspects of that and decided that I would rather be in post. So I moved out to Los Angeles and I got a job at a boutique sound studio that focused on animation.
1: Where did you go to school?
2: I went to DePaul University and I was in their music school in the sound recording technology program. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. it's actually a really great program and I got a minor in microelectronics. So we did a lot of circuitry and things like that, um, which really was what I was hoping to get out of it, to have a big science background. Um, But when I got out here, I actually just sent out emails to everybody that I ever met saying, hey, I'm moving to Los Angeles. Do you know anybody that I could get into contact with? And um, my lab partner in physics actually sent me the name of a friend who happened to be Jeff Schiffman, who's currently my partner. And they had been high school buddies. And he said, Hey, I'm working at this animation studio. You should come by and see what we do and see if you like it. And I went over and they hired me as an assistant editor. And then I moved up from there and spent about five years there, which was really great. It was a wonderful environment. And from there we were actually bought by Warner brothers. So I moved along with the team over there, became a supervising sound editor at WB for almost five years, maybe four and a half years. And at that point in time, um, Jeff and I decided that we really wanted to bring things back to the boutique level, that that was something that worked really well for our clients. So we left and we started Boombox Post. And that was about two years ago that he left Warner Brothers, and I joined maybe a year and a half ago.
0: So tell us about Boombox. How many rooms are at and uh, how many people work there?
2: We probably have about 15 people right now. We've, uh, I feel like we've really grown a lot, especially in the last year. Um, in-house, we have, I think, maybe eight Pro Tools edit systems, and the rest of our people work freelance from home, or they work on and off, or weekends. Um, and we do everything, the whole sound design package. So we do, in post-production, we do sound effects, dialogue editorial, um, We actually do all of our Foley digitally. We do a lot of Foley recording up front for the first episode, but then we use contact to make instruments and we walk it on a keyboard, um, which is a great cost savings, but honestly, it also makes for a really precise uh, Foley session, so that's great. And then we do pre-dubs in-house and we also mix. We don't have a stage here, but we four-wall stages in town bring our own mixer because we like to keep things close to our clients.
1: Cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, so, your blog posts are, are really focusing on how you uh, foster a creative environment over there at Boombox Post. Uh, give me kind of an overview of, of why you think it's important and, and what you're exactly doing to bring that on.
2: Well, there are a number of reasons why it's important. Um, a lot of it kind of harkens back to how the experiences that my partner Jeff and I had when we first got into the industry. And like I said, we worked for a great company, I we had a, a ton to learn, we loved all the people there. Um, but the industry in general sort of saw every sound editor as a real individual and we saw ourselves that way too. So we didn't really share a lot of sounds, especially back then before the internet was a big thing and people were buying their own libraries. A lot of times when you worked at a studio, you had your studio library and then you had everything that you had personally made and you never gave that to anybody else because that was like your secret sauce, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and and the idea was that that's what, why your clients were coming to you because you had your own library. You had these sounds. And we also, you know, we would all learn different plugins and nobody ever told anybody else how they were using things. You didn't tell anybody else. If you showed them a sound, you didn't share how you made it. And part of it was just this idea that you were, you had your own trade secrets. And Jeff and I got kind of tired of that because we thought, well, I have all these great sounds and he has all these great sounds and why aren't we using them? And why aren't we talking about how we made them so that the next time a problem comes up for the other person, they have this new idea in their arsenal to make an additional sound that could be great. So we we just wanted to foster that creative environment where people felt... Not only like it would be beneficial for them to share what they had and their own trade secrets and their own secret sounds, but also we wanted to have it be a place where you could ask questions, where you could admit that you didn't know how to use a plugin. You know, you could admit that there was some part of Pro Tools that you'd never delved into and that you wouldn't feel like somehow somebody else was going to use that to best you to get the next show, you know, which I think is always a thing because all even those of us who aren't strictly freelance, we are all still working on a television series and TV series ends. And when that happens, you're, everything's kind of up for grabs all over again. So we thought there was a better way for people to be competitive in really a way that would be fruitful for the entire team. So there are a number of things that we've been doing. And we we spent a lot of time really thinking about this, talking about it reading books about um corporations that have tried to implement creativity uh we've all seen the sound studios or the big tv studios or movie studios that have like ping pong tables and nap rooms you know as some sort of creative incentive and it just didn't seem realistic to us to have that be the way that we accomplish it because honestly we're in such a time crunch all the time we don't have time to take naps right we and cartoons can be actually incredibly time-consuming because there's so much design work that goes into them. We're always in a completely different world. We're on an alien planet. We're seeing monsters we've never seen before. And these things that would be really cost-prohibitive in live action because you'd have to do a ton of special effects are just part of the everyday job of making an animated series. And we're supposed to put sound on all of them on that same schedule. So... um, we wanted to figure out a way to fold in the creativity to the day-to-day workflow rather than having it be an extra thing that would stress everybody else out. Because I think we've probably all been in the place where you think, oh, it would be amazing if I could record a sound for this like monster that's in this episode. And then it's 2 a.m. <laughs> and you think, you know, maybe I'll just use something from the library and process it and do my best and make something that I can be proud of. But those things really easily fall by the wayside when we have those timing issues. So, you know, we have a bunch of different parts of the process. Uh, One, we try to just make it a communal culture in general. So we really encouraged everybody from the beginning to eat lunch together, which sounds kind of silly. But like I said, when in my old jobs where everybody was such an individual, We would often spend a lot of time alone during the workday, and then we would all leave and go get lunch and eat it by ourselves and come back again, which can be nice too. I like to read a good book on my lunch break, have some (laughs) breathing room. (laughs) Um, But it's also nice to really become friends with your coworkers and to get comfortable with them and to see them in a personal light rather than just as your competition. So that was one of the first things that we did. Then we also really wanted Boombox to be a teaching studio. And that was something that came from the culture of our past jobs, where our boss had done a really good job of making us all want to show each other things. And we wanted to continue that and maybe amp it up a little bit more. So we actually did a really cool thing today, which is part of that. We have these monthly lunch and learn sessions where we have we set aside two hours one time per month. And first, we have a short meeting, which... Honestly, Jeff and I had never had a meeting before in our lives at a job because we were always just cutting sound. Um, But it's good because we sit everybody down and we say, you know, Mackenzie's doing a great job on her show and Brad just cut the most amazing monster sounds. And we like to tell everybody what good things everybody's doing. And then we also talk about work that's coming and work that's going and all of that stuff and keep them apprised of the business because they're a really big part of that for us. They're not just the people who sit in the room and, you know, a door closes and they put a door close sound, which I think can sort of be the attitude towards the sound people. But we we wanted everybody to feel like they were part of this learning and teaching environment. So in the second part of the Lunch and Learn, we told everybody, we started with Jeff and me because we want, we were pretty used to showing people things. And we said, you guys are all experts on something. Even if you just graduated from college and you're a new member of the team, you have something to give knowledge wise, you have some special expertise. And we said, like, you're all going to teach a master class and you only are going to have to do it like once a year, you know, but you get to choose anything you want. You can just show us something. And at first, everybody said, well, I'm not an expert on anything. (laughs) And really, it's it's brought up such interesting things because Jeff and I, we love that one. Number one, it's good for us because when we were showing everybody everything, it was a huge time suck for us. But now, <laughs> <laughs> right? If we're always the trainers. But we, we wanted to really foster this environment where everybody, no matter what their rank was, was used to being a teacher and a learner. And we, we knew that that would really start with us. And so if we could present ourselves as people who have something to learn, then it wouldn't be embarrassing for anybody else to admit that they were in that position as well. And we also wanted to give everybody confidence that they did know things that were important and that they did have something to give to the team. And going back to the library stuff, you know, we're always telling people, you are not your sounds, you are your talent. You know, we share our sounds because those are things that we make on the job that are expressions of our talent. But you, what you have to give to the clients, to the company, the thing that we keep hiring you to do and that keeps our clients coming back for the work is your talent, it's your creative perspective, it's your new ideas, you know? It's not the sounds themselves. So in these Lunch and Learns, we have people today, we just did one where we recorded cars because we have a new series coming up. Um, It's a Mickey Mouse series for Disney. Nice. I think I can say that, yeah. (laughs) It's not premiering until 2017, so we're just gearing up to start working on post for it. But it's going to have Mickey and Daisy and Goofy and all of those crazy characters are each gonna have their own personalized car that's gonna first be Toonie, and then when they get into a racing environment, it's going to transform and become, a, again, a really stylized, personalized, tuny car that they're then going to race around. So we're gearing up to start creating some stuff for that. And we had a lunch and learn where we just hired a new assistant editor named Jacob Cook who comes with a great... He actually just graduated from college, but he's all over the internet on, honestly, your podcast. He's always (laughs) listening. (laughs) He's been telling me about it for a while. Um, But, you know, he's on, like, Watson Wu's website. He's looking at all of these people, reading their blog posts and talking about recording sounds. And one of our other editors, Brad, um, is also really into that stuff. And so they did a joint Lunch and Learn, and they research how do you mic up a car properly, you know? And they used one of our intern's cars, he has a Mustang. And they did a trial Your intern run. has a Mustang? Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, I had a Mustang when I was 16. I
1: had a 1968 wow. Mustang. It was the best. It's
2: Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. But uh, yeah, they mic'd up his car and they did all of the research. And then they took us out there and they walked everybody through what mics did they use? What in- windscreens did they use? What did they try the first time that didn't work in the trial run? Oh, what did they you try know? that didn't work? Well, um, they put really honestly the microphone on the engine itself wasn't sounding great. They had it um, just kind of in there and it was getting... A lot of the growly nature of the Mustang itself, it's actually a smoother sounding car than you would imagine, Mm -hmm. um, is coming from the tailpipe, not from the engine. Mm -hmm. And so they just sort of like placed a regular old microphone in somewhere inside the engine. I wasn't there during the trial run. They just told me about it afterwards. But and when I listened to it, it was just kind of like fan noise. Yeah. You know, it didn't really even sound like a car. It sounded like exactly what you would attempt to take out when you do noise reduction <laughs> after making the <a> re- recording. <laughs> um, and the tailpipe sounded great. They did actually change a little bit about where they placed it. They had also wanted to do a microphone on the wheel casing so that they could get a little bit of the sound of the tire on the ground while it was driving because we were gonna do those and interior and then we were gonna also do some passbys. And they realized that when they had taped the microphone in the wheel casing that they had actually accidentally pointed it forward rather than back towards the wheel itself and so they got a whole bunch of just rushing wind nothing but wind (laughs) yeah yeah. and so these are the things where we really you know encourage everybody to have these experiences and to be open to failures and not assume that they're failures you know that they did the trial run as a trial run to learn something from it and that made the final recordings that much better because they knew to point the microphone at the actual wheel, you know, <laughs> and they they found a better place um, inside the hood of the car to put it. And they also found out that when they turn on the air conditioning, it created a more interesting gravelly sound while they were recording as well, they said. So they did that. They took us out there today with the whole team. They explained the microphones. Then we each we had two shotgun mics, one large one and one small one. And we did the three different kind of pass bys, um, where we did whip ones where you go really fast in the opposite direction. Yep. We did the ones where we, you know, follow the car itself and the ones where we're stationary. And we talked about it. And honestly, these are things that I'm a tried and true sound designer, sound editor. I'm not a recordist. I'm not out in the field, so I'd never done any of these things. You know, you read about them, but the experience itself is completely different. And now, even I'm the owner, and now I have the experience where if somebody asked me to go out there and do it. I would say, "Oh, well, I have a preliminary knowledge. You know, I could probably do that. And that's what we want all of our people to to come away with. the and the comfort level, really. Yeah.
1: There's there's so much there to unpack. I wanna I wanna back up to where you were right at the beginning of this, which is you talk about the culture and, and uh just to to spell out kind of where I'm coming from and where I'm at, I'm in Dallas. Uh, I'm at Dallas Audio Post. There's we're a four-person crew.
2: Mm-hmm. Um
1: and we're all on staff. So none of us are freelance. We're all part of the company. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and so, you know, we, we also kind of have our own kind of internal you know, we, we show up at eight o'clock in the morning and we basically all sit there and drink coffee and complain about stuff or talk about things or whatever. We have kind of our little meeting between eight and eight thirty of kind of whatever's going on. And we all uh-huh. also tend to eat lunch together in the lunchroom together also. And that's almost the only time we see each other through the whole day. The rest mm-hmm. of the time we're in our rooms. Um, and so the the, the concept of, uh, being a little bit more formal, being a little bit more structured with regards to coming together and sharing knowledge, I think is something that's very, very interesting to me because I don't. it's something that I personally think that we don't do enough of where I work, right? Um, yeah,
2: and that's the, really the thing. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Um, but at all of my previous jobs, we never had the space to do that. And by space, I mean really like time. There wasn't anything carved out. And so I remember once... One time, Jeff and I called a meeting at Warner Brothers with both of our teams, and we sat down and talked about, because when we first got there, all of us, none of us had used Soundminer before. Keep in mind, this was a while ago. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, we we had always just searched within Pro Tools. And so people were using it in the same way, and we weren't using it at all to its fullest ability. And we kept saying, you know, you guys, we all have to learn how to use Soundminer, and everybody kept saying, you know, I'm always behind my work. I'm coming in on the weekends. I'm staying until the middle of the night. And I just I don't have time to read the manual and I'm not going to do it when I'm at home. And that was totally understandable because we were all very overworked. And so I I said, you know what, guys, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to do it. I'm reading the manual and I'm just going to tell you guys all about it. So we called this big meeting. And we just walked, we pulled up Soundminer and we walked through all the different ways that you could use the metadata, how to actually search it properly with like all the and, and not, and or functions. Because also, the Warner Brothers library is just so huge yep. that you'd type in cat and you'd get like 85 train sounds and 2000 explosions, you know? And so you'd have to, we were just really struggling with filtering those things out without the proper knowledge. And afterwards, everybody said, that's so amazing. I wish we could do this all the time. I wish that we could just share knowledge like this so that when one person takes the time, we can all benefit from it because we're in such a crunch. But at the same time, we don't have time for the meetings, you know, and now everybody's behind. So that's why Jeff and I really we decided on the once a month because it's it's not frequent enough to really make people feel like it's putting them behind. They can sacrifice that. We usually eat lunch together for one hour and so we do an hour and a half it usually honestly spills to about 2 hours when we do the lunch and learn but we said people can sacrifice 30 minutes to an hour extra one time per month out of their workload to learn stuff and i think that the response has been that the amount of time that it saved them because of all the new tools that they can use accurately has far outweighed that sacrifice but yeah it's really difficult to within the sound profession we're so used to being individuals it's really really Hard to come up with these ideas of how to come together because they're not part of the regular studio attitude.
1: I think some of it is also just the um, the the sense of competition that comes from the freelancer culture, also as yes. opposed to the staffer culture, right?
2: Because mm-hmm.
1: um, you you know when you're and I, I've never been a freelancer, so I personally can't really identify, and I, I, I'm I feel lucky, <laughs> I guess, that I've always <laughs> been on staff. Like I came out of school and got hired here, and I've been on staff for you know. How long has it been? 15 years, something like that. Um, 17 years. It's been a long <laughs> time. Yeah, I started on CDs before Soundminer also. But I think that the the, the competition for jobs in the freelancer space is kind of what, uh, especially in L.A., kind of culturally has has had people put walls up. And so it's really cool that you guys are actively breaking that down. I'm assuming that you guys are, are, are working both with staffers and freelancers at Boombox. Is that right?
2: You know, technically everybody is freelance with us. We have people who are freelance who work really regularly, and we have some people who are freelance who work a little bit here or there. And that just depends on what project they're staffed on. Um, Their television series tend to have – they have all different cycles. So um, animation, though, does not have an off-season, which is excellent for us uh, business-wise and and for all of our people, Mm -hmm. too. So it often runs for a full year. We usually do 20, well, 13 to 26 episodes in a season. So 13 would take us half a year, 26 would take us a full year because we have 2 weeks per episode basically. So how much people are in or out really depends on what the day count is for their particular show and then how often the mixes are happening. So they're just here on the days that they work and we have some people who we able to fill all their days and some where we're not. But we we really wanted to make it feel like people were staff i mean they they obviously understand their own situation as far as that categorization tax-wise and you know financially and everything but we wanted everybody even though we're basically just this big group of freelance individuals which is how most studios run around here um we wanted everybody to feel like they were part of a team and i think that that's the part that's sort of missing because you get caught up in always wanting to make sure that everybody understands that they're not a real employee. And that's not really fair to anyone because even though our people are freelance, that has to do with the, the schedule of television itself, really more than anything. But it doesn't mean that they're not a crucial part of the team. And it doesn't mean that they're not exactly why we're successful. Because like I said, you know, we are we really believe that we're our talent here. And so they're a crucial, crucial part of the business
0: as someone who's done uh, both sides of the spectrum i started off in a large multi-room studio as staff then i went to another studio as staff i've worked at a network as staff and now i've been freelance for since 2003 so i've been on both sides of this equation and i got to tell you when one of the studios i worked at was not downtown So every day at lunch, we all got in the owner's car and well, there's two cars, but anyway, and we drove somewhere and had lunch together Mm -hmm. and it was awesome. I miss it so much. At the time, I didn't even think anything about it until it was gone. And I miss it so much now because now that I am a freelancer, uh, I eat lunch alone almost every day because Mm -hmm. I'm not surrounded by people. And it's not the lunch that matters. The food, food is food, but it's the shop talk that I miss so much, which is one of the reasons why I started this podcast with Renee, because I want to talk to people about stuff. And unfortunately my situation doesn't make it as easy anymore.
2: Absolutely. And I always say to people, you know, that I, I honestly decided that I wanted to be an editor because I'm sort of a shy person. And I thought, this is great. I can sit in a room by myself and never talk to anybody else and just do my (laughs) thing all day. But that gets old really, really fast. And not only does it get old from, like, the creative work perspective, um, it also really gets old on the personal and, like, emotional one. And we all crave that interaction. And it's nice that, you know, we we all eat lunch together, and we don't usually talk about sound. We don't talk about work. People wait until after we all come in, and then they stand around in the hallway, and if they have some work question or something they want somebody to give a a specific perspective on, they'll talk about it then. But mostly... That's like our special time where we just hang out and you can laugh and we show each other YouTube videos and we like pull up weird gifs to show each other. And um, we actually, we use Slack. Do you guys know what Slack is? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, Renee loves Slack. I Slack too much. I need to stop.
2: (laughs) We are all about Slack, but like our random channel with that like slash jiffy part of it. I don't know for your listeners. I don't know if you guys are aware, but Slack is a communication software, it's totally free. You can make a channel for every project. So it's perfect for us because we put each of our television series as a channel um, so that people have a space to keep all of the information about what files are coming in and out and questions that they have. And we post our spotting notes to that channel, etc. Um, but there's a designated random channel so that all of the bullshitting that goes on can <laughs> all take place in one channel and not clog up the, the series ones. And so there's this function where you do slash jiffy and you can put any word in and it will randomly like post a jiff without asking your approval that somebody has tagged with some of those words, Right. And so every day after lunch, there's like a slew of gifs that are posted with the most random things. And sometimes our freelance at home editors are also on Slack, and they're just mm-hmm. like, "What were you guys doing at lunch today?"
1: Seriously, all the game audio slackers <laughs> are sitting here listening to this going, "Cause I'm the I'm the biggest insane jiffy guy on the game audio. Slack. <laughs> <laughs> I will like just drop in on random conversations and and jiffy them and, and leave. <laughs> <laughs> You, they must love you, Renee. <laughs> they, do love, they do love me. That's what they tell me anyway.
0: <laughs> I'm glad to hear... Well, I'm, I'm maybe not glad to hear, but I'm interested to hear that you also are using so many freelancers, because right now I'm sound supervising an animated series, and so I'm doing all the effects, but I have mm-hmm. someone else doing the dialogue, someone else doing the BGs, someone else doing the footsteps, and someone else cutting the music. Now, I'm on the show for the whole two-week cycle to cut the effects, but the dialogue editor for animation is like a day and a half kind of thing, and the footsteps right. is one day. So I I want to do something similar to what I've been reading about with your sound design challenges and uh, how you keep this creative environment. But when the people are only there, you know, one or two days a week, I, I, I'm i wondering how you deal with that. So are the freelancers that aren't working in your studio coming to these uh, learn lunches and such?
2: They do. you know, we wanted to... Make it so that nobody, again, felt like it was a burden or they had these expectations of, that they be part of things when they weren't being paid, which is the difficult part. So we we made it so that we do them once a month. We attempt to schedule them on days that we're scheduling everybody else because we schedule our freelancers on specific days. We don't just like give them the work and say, do a day whenever, um, which is another method that people use. But um, so we try and get as many people. And then we, when we invite everyone, we say, you're only required if you're working for us that day. If you are working for us, you have to come. But if not, you're, we would love to have you, but no pressure. And that's kind of where we landed with that. And sometimes, like today, because we've never done an outdoor recording one, we usually sit in an office and learn like a synthesizer or a plugin or something. Um, or like last time we did an elastic audio. Uh, cool. session. So we we do we have all different kinds of topics, but this one was especially interesting to everyone because nobody had recorded a car before and we all thought, well and we also ordered a lunch for everybody. So we got Buffalo Wild Wings and then we, you know, stood around with shotgun mics in the blazing sun. So it was kind of the perfect afternoon.
0: Barbecue hands and microphones go great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's what I kept telling the guys. I was like, Do you really want wing sauce like all over your microphones? Is are you sure that's cool? But uh, yeah, we we managed to keep ourselves relatively clean.
1: Did you have you run across any kind of friction from freelancers with regards to opening up and sharing their own secrets and their own kind of thought processes and techniques?
2: No, honestly, not at all. I would have to say that the reaction is kind of similar to what you guys were saying—that they've all been holed up in a tiny room in their house, like eating soup out of a can every day, and and doing their job, and they're they surprisingly enough, they're so excited to come and be part of an environment. And we actually did a a little thing where we made some promotional videos, which we didn't end up releasing. Um, But we did some interviews with our team members and Jeff and I didn't tell them what to say. And we just said, you know, oh, what's your favorite part about working here? You know, what is your job, blah, blah, blah. And everybody said, my favorite part is the lunch and learn. My favorite part is the team that I feel so comfortable because when I don't know how to do something, I can just ask somebody else. Or if I don't have an idea of what to record for this thing that my boss told me to record something for, I can just go into everybody else's room and say like, what would you do for this? And we do a lot of, in these Lunch and Learns too. we do a lot of recording because I think that, like I said, that's something that easily falls by the wayside when you're an editor. Because there's a setup involved, you have to like make a session, you have to come up with the idea of what to record, then you always have to do something with it afterwards, you know? Yeah. So there's, there's a whole thing that's involved. It's a lot harder than just buying a library or grabbing something that you already have.
1: My big saying so we, about recording is that the problem with recording is that then you have to edit it.
2: Exactly. And metadata. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So in a lot of these lunch and learns, we do combos where we record something and then we do something with it. And that's also, you mentioned our collaborative blog posts, I think, and um, we can talk a little bit more about that. But we, we often do that for those as well, where we all get together in person and we'll record like all of us roaring like monsters, um, which is great because people get used to being on both sides of the mic. We make people take turns being the, the person who's recording. We take turns, you know, making fools of ourselves and making weird noises in front of the microphone. So at this point, our team will literally do anything. Without being embarrassed, which is great. And then we'll do the learning part where we show somebody how to use, we show everybody how to use a plugin in order to process the stuff that we already made. And then we have our interns usually clean up the audio and get it ready and name it and everything. And then I put them in the library. So we split up all the tasks. But now I, all the time, I see our people going around and saying, hey, does anybody have five minutes to record like an alien screaming sound? And then they all get into a room together and they pull up the mic and they they do it. And I think that it's been really great because people realize that it doesn't really take that much time. You know, a lot of it's just in your head, the idea that like the setup will be a pain in the ass or whatever, and that we have our interns around and we always say, if you need to get those things off your plate, you know, the, the denoising, the you know, editing down of the files, the naming of the files, all that stuff that, you know, is really time-consuming, just ask them to do it. You know, that's what they're here for. And, that's, and then it's a learning process for them, too, because they can take those skills and get a job working in a machine room or being a sound librarian or whatever.
1: Yeah, interns love actually working with audio.
2: They like, do. They love opening they've up the have got enough tools. coffee. Yes. <laughs> and we always say, you know, that, like – Use the interns to help you. Don't, you know, we don't use, like, abuse the interns. We don't honestly, honest, like, ask them to go out and do a whole lot of runs. They do a reasonable amount of that kind of stuff for us. But most of what they do is helping with audio related stuff. We also have a running list of recording requests of if you just need something, like the equivalent of a Foley prop, because like I said, we do all of our Foley digitally. So we cut all props in sound effects. And sometimes you just don't have the sound for something if it's really random. Recently, we needed the a whole lot of sounds of mouse traps uh, mm-hmm. for an episode. <laughs> we actually had an episode of the Seven D, which is a show that we work on for Disney. And Kelly Osborne is one of the characters in it. She's a witch, and she was singing a song while being snapped by mouse traps in time with the song. Because you know it's a cartoon, so these are the things that happen. And we didn't have any good mouse trap snaps that were like really, really snappy in our library. So our assistant editor has full rights to send the interns to buy any props that they need to buy to record. They don't need to ask unless if it's, you know, like outlandishly expensive, but they went out, they bought a whole bunch of mouse traps. They set up a bunch of baffles in a back room with a microphone and they tried just snapping different objects to see what would sound good. And so we have this running list of things hey, if you need something recorded, just ask the interns to do it, they love it. They love opening up a mic, they love using Pro Tools, they love playing around with sound and getting experience with like what works and what doesn't. So yeah, we try and incorporate things like that and spread it all around so that it's not too cumbersome.
1: Can I ask how you manage that list? Is it like just a piece of paper or is it Trello or what?
2: No, we use Slack. You use Slack for it? Yeah, <laughs> we do. We have on our general channel, we keep a post, um, you know how you can make a post rather than typing in a little blurb in a chat? Yep. So we have a post that just says, like, intern record list, and each week our assistant editor says, hey, guys, like, the interns are gearing up, they're going out to buy stuff, put your things on the list. And so people can just say generally, like, mouse traps, or they can say, please reference this episode at this time code, or if they want, they can spot it like a real spotting session and say, I uploaded a spotting session, please like record to picture if it's super specific. And all of those things I th- I think are really good skills for interns to be having rather than, you know, sitting around and I don't know what they would do otherwise, making spreadsheets and coffee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got to get us on Slack at the studio, man. <laughs> I do. It's the
2: best. I We do, now we do everything on Slack and it has that rep, like slash remind function where it'll just remind you to do like anything in your life <laughs> i love it
0: yeah i got a uh story when i was an intern the gentleman who i was interning with was about to retire and so he this story probably took place in the late 60s he the reel-to-reel they were recording with the rubber on the outside of one of the uh bumpers had worn off so he was sent to the grocery or the 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 pharmacy to go buy a condom because they were going to put it on the wheel to replace the missing rubber so he went bought it and this was horribly embarrassing for him for some reason at the time came back and the condoms were too big so they sent him back to the grocery store to get smaller (laughs) condoms and he was like i'm not doing that i'm not going up to the pharmacist and asking for smaller condoms please
2: you know we (laughs) we had this uh i did actually this blog post that i really like that was about um recording underwater audio yeah uh, I read that one did you okay? so I was what I was doing was we had this episode of a show called Pen Zero that I work on, and in each one of those episodes, they go to a different dimension or a different world, and in this particular one, they had shrunk down and they were inside of this submarine like vehicle um inside of the body of one of the characters and so they were in the basically in the blood vessels, and so they were in a submarine that was moving through kind of a gelatinous material rather than water. and um, there were all these platelets and things flying by. It was really cool, but I I thought, you know, I really only have a few underwater buys that I like, you know, and this is the perfect opportunity to record something and to make something new that then can be get folded into my go-to sounds in my library. So we settled on we were talking about different ways to do it because, it was right when we first started the company, so we just bought you know, several systems and set up the rooms and all of that, it was you know, obviously very costly. So we weren't trying to go and buy like a special underwater microphone, and I had heard that at Warner Brothers they use the shotgun mics and they put the condoms over them and they put them in a water tank, um, but we didn't really want to buy a really expensive shotgun mic and then the first thing that we do with it is stick it in a bucket of water. Uh, that <laughs> sounded a little bit too risky. So I bought these contact mics um, just on, you know, Amazon. And they were super cheap. And we decided that we were going to wrap them in condoms and, you know, move them around in a, in my bathtub at home, basically. And so I did have our intern go out and buy condoms. And I said to my, my partner, you know, because it's just at this point in time, it's just me and him and the intern. And I said, you know, like, is it inappropriate if I explain to him like <laughs> whether or not it should be lubricated? Is it okay if like I tell him like no reservoir tip? Like, and he was like, I think this is a conversation that <laughs> I should have. I think you're going to mortify him if you guys talk about that. <laughs> but you know, he got there once and, and it worked out really well. uh it was an interesting start to the blog post that we do and that idea of trial and error where you know Jeff and I also when we started the blog we our idea was because again things have been so closed before and you didn't share your secrets and we said well what if we just share everything right what if we don't just share Everything that we know how to do and our methods, but also our trials and errors, our failures and everything along the way to show that we're human and, that, and to just let our process be out there so that we're not ever saying, hey, we're experts and I know how to make an underwater microphone. I said, I have no idea how to make an underwater microphone, but I have an idea of how sound works and I have an idea of how microphones work. And I'm going to give this a try and see what I come up with. You can actually find the audio files on that blog post and they're really interesting because they don't sound watery. They sound more gelatinous, so they actually worked perfectly for that episode. But in the blog, it's just Yeah, we I feel like we've really captured that because we wanted to the whole point of it in the beginning was we said, since we work on these television series, we work on them often for, you know, one year to seven years. We'll work with the same executive producers on something. And then they move on to something else and they can be in development and production for two years before they come back. And in that point in time, maybe they forgot that we existed. You know, we (laughs) hope that they don't, but that's always the fear, right? That in the meantime, they meet somebody else or they do some small one-off project and, you know, they think, oh, well, this guy is fabulous. So our idea was, let's just put something about what we're doing and really focus on the creative process rather than the knowledge. And just put that out there on a weekly basis. And hopefully, you know, if those things keep popping up every week in the like social media feeds of our clients, they'll remember that we exist. They don't even have to click on it. They don't have to know anything about like what we're talking about. But they'll just say, oh, yeah, those guys, guess they're up to something. And it's been really interesting because in sharing our process the way that we have, we've actually gotten a ton of people trying to get jobs from from us, like through the blog. You know, okay. saying, I read your blog, and I like your creative process, and I like the idea of people trying things and having time and a space for that, and I'd like to be part of that team. And that was a completely unexpected outcome. So it's interesting when you come up with new ideas and you try something. Sometimes it doesn't go in the direction that you think it's going to. I'm sure our clients do, like, see them pop up, and they do or don't click on them. Some of my clients say that they do, and they find it interesting. Um, But more than anything, it's I feel like it's hit... Home with a lot of sound professionals, which has been really great. Yeah, and well, you end
0: up on a sound design podcast as a result, as well. That's how we found you through the blog. I've been reading yeah.
2: it.
1: it. It really it it speaks to what you're trying to do, which is to 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 use your creative skills and to to be creative. And 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 there's a process, and 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 sometimes it's a slow process, and it's a, it's a messy, ugly process at times. You know, you you don't, if you just go straight from from a blank uh, sheet to a perfect drawing you know, you, you, you didn't do anything, uh, creative, you traced, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and so you, you gotta, you gotta go try and learn stuff. And so the fact that you're fostering that is very cool. Uh, Uh, kind of along the same lines there, we'd, I think we'd be remiss if we, if we had somebody that is in your position on the podcast and not ask, what are you looking for as you're hiring freelancers? Like what's, what's it, what's an important, um, what would a really good a uh, person that you're going to hire look like what would their resume look like what would their skill set kind of be like
2: well we get a lot of resumes um in terms of general like resume advice which i don't know if, how interesting this is but i would i would say you know the old adage of like keep it to a page is great we get some resumes where people who are actually really amazing sound designers they list like you know their job being a pizza hut driver 13 years ago that <laughs> you don't need to do that but um aside from that you know we get a lot of resumes and we get a lot of credit lists. I love a online demo reel. We're always telling our interns to do that. You know, to either make a website because it's free and you can make a fabulous one page website, um, or just make you know a Vimeo video that you can attach or send the link to when you send out your resume. Um, I love seeing that. I think nowadays, pretty much everybody goes to school audio in some respect or another. That wasn't necessarily the case when I started in this. Um, a lot of people were going more the path of learning on the job as a trade. But we usually, honestly, just anybody who looks like they have any sort of experience at all, and even if that's just like freelance on short films, we bring them in and we meet them in person. We call them meet and greet rather than an interview because that sounds friendlier. And <laughs> But also because we're hiring freelancers, we're always kind of looking for just a list of people to call. We're not necessarily we don't have positions that we're offering where like a mm-hmm. position becomes available. It's kind of a steady stream of like, ah, oh, sometimes there's a day here, there's a day there, We have a new show, maybe it'll work, yeah. maybe you won't. you know. So people who really don't have a lot of experience, we do have them come in and do editorial tests. Anybody with a resume where they've actually worked on television shows, we don't do that. You know, we hope that they have a demo reel and we ask if we can see something. But um, if, say, they've just graduated from school, but they say, I do not want to be an intern. I believe that I'm an editorial candidate. I believe that I'm, like, on the same levels that, you know, your editor's here. Then we say, great, come in, spend a day with us. And we have a couple short clips, and we'll spot and preview with them and just kind of see how they are during the process and using our library. And what we're looking for isn't a perfect session when they do that. Um, not by any means because, like I said, we consider ourselves a teaching studio. We have lots of really young editors here. We're looking for talent, honestly. We're looking for somebody who can layer sounds, somebody who understands that like, you're better off in the mix if you have some low end and some like snappy high end on things that you know, a punch isn't just one sound necessarily, at least in, in the shows that we work on. And we're actually looking for a pretty sunny disposition because when we have this group environment like this, uh, you really want to make sure that you want to make sure that everybody keeps that going and that there's a certain energy. We're all open to uh, being vulnerable here. And I think we've probably all worked with curmudgeons uh, to a certain extent. You know, there's always that one person who thinks that they're so behind that they're never going to finish. And then they finish like a day early, you know, and they're like, oh, I don't know what happened. We want people who are feeling good about themselves and feeling good about their work and feeling good about where they know that we have high expectations, but that we also give a lot of accolades and that we appreciate everything that you give. You know, So we want somebody who's gonna step up to the plate in that respect. So I, that's, that's sort of vague. Right, you Jenna. mentioned. <laughs> no,
1: I think I think that's useful, and you know, the reason I ask that again is because there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that you know one of the most common questions is, "Hey, how do I break in? Like, what do I do?" Right? But right. to me, uh, I think if you look one step past that and say, "All right, what's it look like once I'm in?" Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's important, and, and again, having somebody in your position that does a lot of, you know, of of hiring of freelancers for this job and that job and for this day and that day, to have your perspective is super important. You know, again, just to to kind of back up a little broadly, if you're looking at a reel, what are what's something like on a reel that is impressive to you?
2: Well, um, I have a lot of opinions about reels.
1: <laughs> oh, bring oh, <laughs> them! I, I want real opinions. Come on.
2: Yeah. So. um... On reels, I would say number one, edit together a reel where in the first 15 seconds I can get some idea of what you can do. Because if you put an entire seven minute short student film on there and it begins with the title sequence, it's all music, and then there's like somebody slowly walking around and you didn't do the foley, and I have to like click around with it, you've already sort of lost me, right? So, you know, um, I like to see a variety. We we do a lot of creating demo reels actually with our interns because in our internship program, we, we actually have a curriculum for them as well as them doing things like recording and stuff where each week they are tasked with learning a different part of the services that we provide. So a different job that they could possibly have with us or with another studio. So they'll learn sound effects editorial, sound design where they learn you know how to use like a synthesizer or a plugin to do some design work they do dialogue editorial they do pre-dub they do walking foliant contact they do a lesson on bgs and ambiences because we found after some trial and error that they actually were really having a hard time understanding what's a background what's an ambience where do you put them in the tracks how do you checkerboard things what kind of fades you use they just they had so many questions um so we made a lesson for that um so when they finish all of that, they we have them pull some clips from either DVDs that they have or Blu-rays or YouTube or wherever. They strip the sound out, and then they use all of those skills that they've learned. Each of those sessions that where they're learning something, they learn with a different editor who's here in-house who teaches them. They do a small project, and then they do some fixes with the person too. So they get a lot of one-on-one time that's structured. So when they do their demo reel projects, they take all of those skills and they put them into it. And then Jeff, my partner and I, we spot and we preview with them as if we were clients. And we actually give them a lot of tough love on the preview. We, we act like real Mm -hmm. clients where we say, you know, that's not what we asked for. You got to do exactly what we asked for. You know, we, we really focus on, you know, during the spotting session, you know, write the stuff down. You got to like write down the time codes and stuff. But we do also a lot of choosing of demo real things with them. We do general suggestions. So I would say a variety of genres is amazing. And there are all different kinds of genres where you can do great sound work. You know, let's see. People often want to do animation ones, probably because they want to impress us and get jobs after their internships (laughs) are over. (laughs) But um, in addition to that, we do a lot of horror stuff is always great. Tons of design elements, Um, video game cinematics are great things to strip the sound from because they're, you know, concise, but there's, like animation, there can be totally cool design elements visually that then you get this great practice of matching sonically what they're doing visually. So then you're really part of this creative output, which is the most important part. What else? We had somebody recently do like a Thai um, martial arts, movie which was great yeah it had like a great like prison sequence and like martial arts stuff and so they're just you know you can do all kinds of stuff but i would say pick something that actually has some sound design to it and that doesn't mean all explosions and robots taking over worlds and it doesn't mean everything's loud it can be something that's really subtle but it should be something where we can hear the sound and understand what you did on it
0: Mm -hmm. you've talked a lot about this internship program it sounds amazing uh, how Thank would you. how would anyone uh, apply to this?
2: So we have a webpage. It's actually not linked to our site. So um, if anybody is interested, I can give that out. Uh, it is www.boomboxpost.com slash blog. Or I'm sorry, it's not slash blog. It's slash internship hyphen program. And if they ever want to request that website, if they forget about it, they can go onto our website and just... You can email us through the website and they can request to to have access to that page. We'll put a link um, to it
0: from uh, this episodes page as well on our site.
2: Excellent. Yeah, and we uh, it we have we used to do four rounds per year, and we're gonna switch over to three. So it'll be four months of time. It's either two days or three days a week. Um, it is during the work day. So um we try to work around people's work schedules. We understand that they need to make some money because it's a free internship. But we do really hope that they're taking away as, honestly, more than, you know, what we're getting from them. We want them to, we like to use them for, like I said, our creative processes and making everybody's life easier around here. But um, we really want them to walk out of it feeling like if they go to an interview at any studio and somebody says, you know, have you edited fully, they can just honestly say, yes, I have. Because they have the background in doing it with us. And they also have... They can say, oh, I did this demo project at Boombox Post. Would you like to see it? You know? So, yeah. I feel like we've it's evolved a lot over the last year and a half since we started it. And I feel like everybody's enjoying it.
0: I always say when... Uh, Renee mentioned earlier that we get a lot of people contacting us asking how to get in the business and such. And one of the mm-hmm. main things I always say is find a school or a program that includes an internship or a co-op program because you learn a lot of stuff in class, but that stuff doesn't necessarily translate to a studio because each studio does things their own way. So once you get in a studio, I did a four-month internship for free as well, and it was Mm -hmm. the best, I was going to say the best money I ever spent, but uh, best money I didn't make. (laughs) Because almost every gig I've got since then was from producers that I met at that studio. I still do freelance at that studio sometimes. They hire me. Mm -hmm. uh, Like, uh, I can trace a lot back to that specific time I spent, those four months learning. And the other cool thing is that people want you to do stuff because then they don't have to do it themselves, you know? Uh So you, you will get coffees for people. But if you find the right studio you will also find that you'll be doing stuff that you didn't even know existed when you were in film school. I did a ton of stuff that I was like, oh, that has to get done. I had no idea. Um, mm-hmm. as, as I just said, I went to film school instead of... You went to music school, I, I believe you said. I did, so... Yeah, so know, like, everybody gets into the business different ways, mm-hmm. but the once you get you're into a studio... Renee has always been in a studio, so uh, he can jump in on this too, but every studio does things differently, and the practical stuff you learn in school takes a whole different focus once you're actually in a professional environment and it's so important to do that before you try because now almost everyone's going straight to freelancing and if you never had that professional environment you're behind the eight ball right off the bat that's mixing Absolutely. sports I, metaphors sorry about
2: that <laughs> you know i tell people that too because they uh, people often just email and ask for career advice too um and i'm always saying the same thing you know yeah freelance work You know work hard on your own but honestly we sometimes we hire um people who have only ever freelanced to to work with us and there is such so much of a bigger learning curve in that than hiring people who've worked at a studio and i'm not saying that we really have a a strong preference one way or the other um but The really great part about at least interning at a studio, if not being an assistant or a machine room engineer or somebody who's just there as sort of part of the general basis for the company, where you get to see everything that's happening, is that you understand in in television, at least, and I would imagine, and films, too, and I would imagine in games as well, you are a part of the process. And in freelance, sometimes you are the entire process. Mm -hmm. And so you can organize your sound effects in any way that you want because you are going to mix them and you already know where everything is. But if you give a session like that to a mixer who has four hours to pre-dub a show in 5-1 before the clients show up and expect everything to be perfect, he's going to lose his shit. (laughs) So we do a lot of training on how do you communicate things without – using any words and people are often, especially like our interns or our really young editors or the people who come from a freelance only background where they've worked mostly on short films and things. They're just amazed. They always thought that we were sending tons and tons of emails back and forth saying, oh, heads up, this thing happens in this time code and this thing happens there. And the clients want you to turn that up and make sure you use like a megaphone. And, and honestly, we don't do any of that because we convey everything in the actual audio and in the session by color coding,
1: mm-hmm. by
2: track layouts, by food grouping things. Um, there is almost no actual verbal communication. And it's better that way. We waste so much less time. And no matter who gets my session after me, they're going to understand what it is because that big yellow block is probably the sound effects for the big yellow submarine that's on the screen, you know? And. I I think that's really important, and that's something that, like I said, if you are your own business entirely, you don't learn those skills on how to hand the work off. And also what it's like when you get work from somebody else that's poorly organized, you don't have that experience of pulling your hair out. Yes, exactly. That's (laughs) really, really important because how do we make time, again, for being creative? We make time for being creative by being absolutely organized in the technical aspects of our work, and we have those things down to a T with our crew where everybody's doing things exactly the same, but they're being completely different creatively, You know, but their layouts are totally the same, and if I open up different editors' work, I probably wouldn't be able to tell whose was whose because of that.
1: So, how do you manage that? Do you hand out templates that for them to use, or is there just a training setup that happens on the front end? Like, if I were to walk in and and you say, "All right, Renee, you're 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 cutting this thing right now," like, what 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 am, what are you handing me?
2: I would give you the show template. I'd probably give you a handful of episodes, and I'd say, "I really want you to watch these and watch them as an editor, not as a viewer." You know, I always say, "Watch them like look at the sounds." write down notes on which sound effects are being used, make markers, you know, pull those sessions into your session so that you can go back and grab things from it. But but then we also do during the spot have a lot of conversations about, you know, I want you to cut this in perspective. What does that mean to me? What do I expect from you? Like what, how many frames should your fades be on your backgrounds? Like where should you put them on the cut or before the cut, you know, all those things that maybe people might have different ideas about. And, you know, we're not crazy OCD about those things. If it sounds good, it sounds good. But it also needs to be something that's mixable. Mm -hmm. You know, and we, we talk a lot too about organizing your work. And again, when you ask about what are we looking for when we hire, we're looking for somebody who can organize their work with the mixer in mind. You know, so. When, say, you make some dragon vocals and there are eight tracks of sound effects, don't put the sound effects on track one, track eight, track nine, track 32, and then there's one, like, way down at the bottom of the session randomly. You know, keep things together. Keep in mind that, you know, your mixer's using his hands, unlike us editors who often just work on the keyboard, that they need to put their hands on the faders and move things around. They're panning things. They're worrying about all kinds of things that sometimes we're not thinking really in depth about when we're designing but that you should be thinking about it when you're organizing
1: top two or three boneheaded mistakes you see editors make and the name of the editor that did it no i'm just (laughs) kidding kidding. (laughs)
2: um i'm definitely gonna say like no fades on files i i spend a lot of time telling people like don't cut in the middle of audio regions with no fade (laughs) that seems really obvious to me but you know Um, what else? I wouldn't call anything, you know, boneheaded, because I feel like...
1: uh, Well, let's say pet peeves. One of my pet peeves is uh, mono source elements on stereo tracks.
2: Oh, God, Uh, people do that? Oh, my God. Yeah, when they pull from a sound effects
0: library, and it's a mono sound, and they'll just put it on a stereo track, you mean?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: So, like... They're using Sound minor and it makes it into a stereo file. And they're well, no, like...
1: sometimes you'll be pulling from a library, like even an old library, like the Series mm-hmm. 6000, right? Well, that comes from a CD. So even if it's a mono recording with one mic, got it, you know, mm-hmm. it'll still dump it on a stereo track if you put your cursor on a stereo track.
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, also, cutting just rant. One of the things, too, that I say is like the file doesn't dictate how you cut it. You tell the file what to do, you know. So if something's happening, like there's a sprinkler going off for 28 seconds, sometimes I'll see editors they they put you know only 22 seconds of it is covered by an audio file, and I say, well, what happened? They said, well, that's how long the file was. (laughs) 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 And I say, no, you you know that's what a crossfade is for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, so there's some there's a learning curve, you know. I think that uh, let's see. I'm sure that I have other ones. We do a lot of back and forth about perspective cutting, you know, which is sort of a uh, um, one of the finer points of sound effects editorial. And you can certainly do too much. Sometimes I, I have had mixers come back and say like, "Can you please tell your people to stop cutting in perspective every time that like the camera angle slightly changes?" You <laughs> know, so. Um, but the no perspective cutting is kind of a pet peeve for me because again, you're just making the mixers' life difficult if. You know, there's a river going on and in one shot the camera's like on the river and then it's like three miles away and then there's just rushing water sound happening the whole time. Um, yeah, we we like to get very detailed with our work here because it's animation, it's o- so often really, really lush and it's somebody's artistic view. I would say in my persp- from my perspective even more than live action because somebody actually sat down and they drew it You know, and they thought about what are the textures going to be? How are we going to make this look? What's the color palette? You know, and we're trying to fit into that. So anytime anything moves, we're covering it, you know, and we're trying to really be true to the creative intention involved. So, um, you know, coverage is, is one of my things, too, just in general. You know, make sure that if they took the time and put the love in to animate that, which is an incredibly difficult process then you've got to take the time to to cover it with a sound.
1: Yep, totally. I ha- I've had to tell myself that in the past. Like sit oh, yeah. I just give myself <laughs> the perspective. Look, somebody drew this. <laughs> I need mm-hmm. to go and take five seconds in some and cover that one sound also. Now, now watch, Kay's going to wake up in the middle of the night going, oh, and this thing and that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because when you start out as a young editor, I don't know if you guys were the same way, but... You start these projects in especially in school and you start putting sound on things and you put sound on one thing and then you realize oh well now that other thing i notice is missing sound you know and it kind of snowballs and you think i could just work on these projects forever i could i could work on this 3 minute clip for an entire year and i would still be making improvements and then you get to a studio environment and we're expecting you to do the equivalent of like what you did over a semester at school in half a day and to have it be totally complete and not missing anything and i'm going oh you missed that finger snap and then you missed that blade of grass that's blowing in the wind and you missed that thing over there that butterfly that flapped in and and people are saying well i didn't think that they would need sounds but they do and it's obvious to me and it's obvious to the clients cuz we've attuned ourselves to to looking at that minutia yeah it's it's an interesting job i feel like it's changed my perspective on a bunch of stuff because you get so used to like really fine tuning your attention
1: cool mm-hmm Well, Kate, thank you so much for spending all your time with us. This has been really, really um, useful and informative for me, for sure.
2: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure for me, too. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Do you have anything that's going on air soon that people can watch out for?
2: My partner, Jeff, is supervising on a bunch of interesting projects. Um, He has The Loud House going right now on Nickelodeon. He is um, working on Storybots, which is premiering on Netflix on August 12th. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is a perennial favorite um, for Nickelodeon, that has new episodes coming out soon. Um, I'm doing the 7D, which airs regularly on Disney XD. Um, Lion Guard is on Disney Junior. And uh, Future Worm is actually an amazing project that I just started on a little while ago with my team. And that is going to premiere soon on Disney XD, but they've released two uh, shorts as sneak peeks, which are all currently out on YouTube called uh, Heal in Touch with Dr. D and Terrible Tuber Trouble. It is, I would say for adults, it's it's great. Adults, kids, it's a wonderful, wonderful animated series. It has Andy Milonakis playing a kid who's obsessed with future science. His best friend is a worm. Mm -hmm. They travel through time and space and just kind of are best friends who just spend all the time bullshitting each other and also love each other. So it's, it's great. And Neil deGrasse Tyson is also on it, which just makes it fabulous.
0: Nice. So you don't have much going on then, eh?
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, I think we have 12 series right now. Wow. So we are, wow. yeah, we're pretty busy. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So yeah, as Renee said, thank you very much for being a part of it. It was really interesting to hear your thoughts on all this. And as I said, I'm a longtime reader of the blog. So it's great to finally uh, put a, a voice to all the stuff I've been reading.
2: Absolutely. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Kate Finan for jumping on with us today. Thanks to Stacey Dupas for letting us bend and twist her voice on the bumpers. Special thanks to Chris Zott for editorial help on this episode. You can follow the show at The Tone Benders. Go to tonebenderspodcast.com to leave a comment. You can support the podcast. You can go shopping over at tonebenderspodcast.com slash Amazon or tonebenderspodcast.com slash BH. Those are our affiliate links. We'll see you guys next time. Oh, once again, you can follow Kate uh, on Twitter at BoomboxPost. See you guys next time. Bye.
2: Thanks for listening to Tone
1: Vendors. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to tonevendorspodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tone Vendors on Twitter or find Tone Vendors Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at